Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. John, we have a great show lined up for today, as usual. You know, we're going to start off. We're going to start off talking about mini retirement. Um, mini as in mini M A N Y or M I N I. Oh, mini. mini okay, like a small a retirement version. Right. Exactly. You know, there, it's getting to be more of a trend that that people are looking at taking a few years off or a couple years off, kind of mid career, and kind of knocking out some of those bucket list items early. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the question is, is that in your future? Is that something that, that might fit for you? There's not too many people that works for, but but there are ways to make that work. So we're going to talk about that. It's an interesting topic. And uh, so, you know, it's something to think about. Definitely takes planning. It does a take lot a lot of planning, no yeah. doubt. And then we're going to follow up with a conversation about talking to your parents about finances. Last week, Steve, we talked about uh, talking to your spouse, right, which can be a difficult conversation. I think maybe talking to your parents about money, maybe even um, a different level than talking with your spouse potentially. So, um, But it is so important. We have so many clients that are helping their parents manage their financial situations. We have a lot of experience, and uh, we're going to have some helpful tips as well when we talk about that. Absolutely. That'll be a good one. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and uh, Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 23 years of experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. We are up every Friday afternoon with a new podcast. Yeah, check us out on our website. It's moneymd.net. You can listen to the podcast. We also have a bunch of tools and videos. We have a a Facebook page, MoneyMD, and uh, put a weekly video out there. And also, the rumor is, is we're tweeting a lot more. Lately, I don't know what's causing that. that. Yeah, yeah. somebody know, a little more reliable that's operating right. the tweet. That's right. Matthew there. is now our our official tweeter, so um, Twitter Fantastic. guy. So um, check that out as well. Yeah, that's a good one, no doubt. And we'd love to hear from you. You can email us your questions directly at info at moneymd dot net, or you can link to us off our website moneymd.net. dot um, net. All right, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is pretty uh, depressing news coming from the Congressional Budget Office. Um, they just came out with in the benchmark silver plan for the Affordable Care Act. They said in 2019, you sitting down? Yeah, the go pre- ahead. premium is going to increase by 15%. Ouch. I mean, it's been that every year, it, has. it seems like. I just got my notice. Um, you know, we have it in the middle of the year is when our anniversary date, and it was up 22%. It is brutal. I mean, the the Affordable Care Act is the now the unaffordable Affordable. Care Act um, because it's yeah. I mean, you just got to look at all options when it comes up for renewal, and we're scrambling that way at our church and in our business and everything else. Um, just looking at you know how to cut premiums, and for individuals, I think MediShare is a good option. I do see a lot of people going to MediShare. Now that's not HSA um, compatible, but uh, certainly the premiums from what we see is are significantly less than what you would pay with a normal insurance. Absolutely. And hopefully it doesn't go up as much. I I don't know. But uh, boy, that's that's really out of control. I mean, 15 percent, you compound that over another 10 years. And I don't know, I guess our whole whole GDP is going to be consumed by health care. They've got to get a solution. (laughs) It's a problem. So but also thanks for for cheering us up with that fact of the week, John. that. That was a good one. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That leads us up here to our first topic, and that is, is a mini retirement in your future. Um, very interesting concept. You know, this is based on an article by uh, Taylor Rogers from the street.com very recently. And, you know, John, I mean, everybody dreams of those golden years when you're sitting back on some exotic beach traveling the world, right? Um, however, for for most of us, you know, it's a sad reality that you're going to have to wait to your mid-60s to have a shot at making those kind of memories. And that's after you already might have some health issues or don't have the energy to fully enjoy it. But the truth is, you might not have to work four decades to have a shot at those retirement dreams. In fact, some people are taking what us financial planners call a mini-retirement um, for a few years, kind of in the middle of their career. Um, and those lucky few who can scratch off those bucket list items mid-career, they may have the energy and the desire to work a few more years on the back end of their careers as they don't feel the need to punch out early. Um, so the truth is, anything that you can do to work a few more years on the back end of your career will likely have a bigger impact on your finances than working harder in the early years. Yeah, you know, taking a few years off to travel uh, mid-career, it may seem reckless to some, but there may be a way to take a mini-retirement without sacrificing your real retirement or even long-term financial goals. Having said that, this move certainly has complications and is clearly, you know, not for everyone. And of course, it probably won't work if you have young dependents or large financial obligations. But what better time to knock off some bucket list items when you're still healthy and have that energy that you can go and, and take care of it and, and go see the world. And and besides, if you're going to make some awesome memories, wouldn't it be nice to have 30 or 40 years left to cherish those memories? And of course, this mini retirement is going to re- require some serious planning like we talked about, Steve. You know, you don't want to go come back in the middle of your working career saddled with a couple hundred thousand dollars of new debt. So that's certainly not on the table. It's not what we're advocating here. But, um, you know, if your dream for a mid-year career move is something that you're interested in, pay attention. We're going to dig into some of the details and um, see you. Yeah, it would certainly be an exciting option to have that choice. So the first step, though, is you're going to have to have some serious savings put back to fund your excursions. Um, Needless to say, I mean, we're talking about a lot more than a rainy day fund here. Uh, you have to figure if you're going to go knee low on your income for a couple years, you will definitely need two years of expenses put back along with another measure for carving out those bucket list items um, while you're taking that time off. So if you think you if you if you think um, you can get by on uh, four thousand dollars a month, for example, um, for a couple years then you would need, you know, about $100,000 to fund those two years. Um, you might need another $50,000 to pay for the travel and other things associated with that. So that'd bring you up to like $150,000 that you're going to need to fund the two years that you're going to take off. That's a lot of money, but it's not impossible. You know, if you have a plan and you plan well ahead and you save accordingly, for instance, if you saved about $820 a month, for 10 years at 8% growth, then you'd be there. You'd mm-hmm. have an extra $150,000 to do this. Um, of course, you know, this is obviously going to require some serious discipline early in your career, but it's very doable if you have two incomes and you choose to live off one income, as we do recommend for most most young couples. So it's an option. Um 
And one of the keys here, though, is you need to maintain some flexibility of your assets. You know, having your assets um, to cash out on a rainy day is going to be the key to ensuring that your mini retirement doesn't jeopardize your full retirement. Um, So many millennials, they have a strong desire to reduce their debt, which is fantastic, but sometimes they'll do this at the detriment of their flexibility and their assets. You know, it may be beneficial to save funds in an after-tax investment account that you can access rather than making additional payments, say, on your mortgage or to your 401k plan. Um, And you may not be able to pull funds back out of your house later on or you may be forced to pay a higher interest rate to do so. So you want to make sure you have some flexibility and you're starting to build up after-tax money to fund this mini-retirement. Yeah, that's a great uh, first suggestion. The second one here, Steve, is is make sure you separate your savings. Though it may seem like common sense um, you know, advice here, many retirees should resist the urge to commingle their travel savings with their other investments. And in addition to making it easy to resist the urge to spend your retirement savings early, Opening separate accounts also allows you to maximize your tax savings by keeping that money out of the tax-deferred retirement plans. Like you were saying, you know, some brokerage accounts would probably work pretty well here. And then separate your goals into three buckets. The first bucket should be your emergency fund, should be in cash, uh, typically consisting of three to six months of living expenses. You can also utilize a taxable account focused uh, on long-term gains for your mini retirement bucket, um, which will be spent during your mini retirement. And then you're going to utilize you know, tax um, advantage accounts like Roth IRAs and 401ks for the full retirement. So you know, those three buckets, um, cash for emergency fund, then having a kind of a medium-term travel account, and then have your, your retirement in separate buckets. That's right. And that medium-term travel account <clears throat> is kind of your mini retirement bucket that you're building up, that 150000 or whatever it takes to, to take that mini retirement in. Um, And then keep your nest egg growing when you're not contributing to it. You know, taking a short break from funding your retirement account doesn't have to delay your normal retirement date. You know, if you've saved really well, um, taking your mini retirement before taking your mini retirement, then the savings you've accumulated in your 401k and your IRAs, they should continue to grow well while you're, you're pausing from adding more money to the funds. So make sure you have these retirement accounts well diversified, but invested in mostly equities, mostly stock type funds, you know, while you're taking a break from work so that they get the full advantage of any gains the market offers. Tilting your investments uh, toward equities by even an extra 10% could add potentially another half to 1% return each year to your portfolio. Even an extra half percent return each year, that would add over $300,000 to your retirement over 40 years at an 8% return if you were investing $600 a month. Um, I mean, that's an extra 15% for your retirement funds. So make sure you're taking as much risk as as you can, Mm -hmm. as you need to. Um, to be able to do that. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's you just want to make sure that the money's working for you really well. Yeah. Make sure, Steve, that you keep every dime working for you. This is really good. People tend to leave a lot on the table when it comes to retirement by not deploying all of their available resources, you know, focused on their future. And, you know, we sit down with couples a lot of times and um, we see them not getting their match from their company. That's um, that's money that's kind of being 
given away, if you will. That's very, very important. Another one is is people not um, you know, funding their Roth accounts for four, five, six years, or maybe waiting five years into their working career to um, to start saving. And any of these blunders, it's going to make a mini retirement very difficult, um, probably not until you have some gray hair. So, you know, you don't get a lot of mulligans when it, when it comes to taking off years in the middle of your career and still hitting your retirement goals. So you want to make sure that your first swing at retirement savings is a good one and you have a strategy associated with it. I like the golf analogy. It's good, John. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and get on track, you know, to saving 15% of your income toward retirement very early in your career. I mean, you can usually accomplish that by putting enough in your 401k to get the full match, the full match, and then also fully fund a Roth IRA for yourself and your spouse if you have one. Um, if you can ramp up to this level of savings within, say, the first five years of employment, then you're likely to have more than 15% going toward your future and be well on your way to having options for taking time off mid-career if that opportunity arises. Um, but to realistically take a mini retirement <clears throat> while you even have a full head of hair requires some nearly perfect planning and discipline. You don't have time to play catch-up if you're planning to take a mid-career break from savings and working. <clears throat> um, however, as we've discussed, I mean, it is very doable if you do some good planning and you also have a little good fortune along the way. So, uh, yeah, the mini retirement, it's definitely an option, John. I mean, it's something young people can aspire to. It, some things have to work out, you know. I mean, uh, long-term and your family situation has to allow it, but um, but it's not unheard of. And we do see folks that take a couple of years off mid-career and, you know, go do some traveling and, uh, you know, knock out some of those bucket list items early. Yeah. Having the mortgage paid off. If you're a young person, twenties or thirties and having a 15 year mortgage, if you can have that paid off in your forties, that gives you an opportunity to do this. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't even on the list here in this article, but if you can stick to that 15 year and don't keep refinancing it out, if you refinance it, keep refinancing it and amortizing it over a shorter period. So it truly is paid off in 15 years from when you start that gives you all kind of flexibility mid-career to do something like this. So that's a great point. All right. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question says, uh, came from a client uh, discussion and says, uh, make 200000 now, but only project to make about 80000 in retirement in two years. Should I contribute to a 401k or a Roth um, today? And so, yeah, 200000 is going to be in a much higher tax bracket than the 80000 Certainly, um, sure. in, under the current tax laws, the 80000 is only in a 12% tax bracket, whereas right. the 200000 is going to be in 24 maybe even 28%, um, depending on the deduction. So I think you know leaning towards the 401k, getting those tax breaks today would be a, a valuable decision. Um, Roth is, is never a bad idea, but I think in this case, two years out, you're, you're going to have lower income getting that tax break today probably makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, no doubt. I, I do like to see people do both. I like to see them, you know, have their 401k, but also, um, you know, fully fund a Roth IRA. But if you had to choose between two and you're, you're making 200,000 a year for just a couple of years, yeah, I would say go ahead and. And also, um, you know, do the 401k, the pre-tax yeah. contribution. As much as we like Roths. I mean, we're big Roth proponents. Everybody knows that listening to us. Um, so Absolutely. Th- that's That wouldn't be a horrible idea. But, um, you know, being the big tax bracket, it may make sense to certainly 
weight the uh, contributions of 401k, you can still do a little bit into a Roth. Absolutely. You know? That's right. Okay. That leads us up here to our next topic, and that is talking about finances with your parents. Yes, Dave, this is a this is a challenge. You know, when you're a young and your your parents may have sat you down and talked about the birds and the bees and you know, now it's time to turn the tables and and address another uncomfortable topic and that is their finances. And um, you know, such conversations mark a reversal in the traditional parent-child dynamic and uh, can also be fraught with concerns and independence. Um, you know, some trust issues maybe as well. And as a result, these talks often don't happen at all. And uh, a perceived, there's usually a lack of urgency is to blame. And this is coming from a, a survey um, from, from Wells Fargo and uh, actually NerdWallet uh, produced this. Um, and we do see that, Steve. We see a lot of clients. We have a lot of clients that are managing. We're helping them manage their monies, but also we're helping them manage their parents' monies because they have power of attorney. That's right. Over That's their right. <clears throat> yeah. And we see the other side, too, where we're working with the elderly parent and they really haven't discussed, you know, kind of what the plan is for later on with their kids. And uh, it, it's something that needs to happen, you know. And so this is a great topic to talk about because it says roughly one third of parents over age 60 said they've never discussed later life needs with their family, including inheritance plans, beneficiaries, important documents or designated representatives, according to the survey. Meanwhile, adult children worry that such conversations will conflict or, you know, make it seem as though they're after their parents' money. So they avoid the conversation as well. So, yeah, I mean, somebody needs to be bold enough, either the children or their parents, to to broach that subject and uh, have this meaningful conversation about you know, what, what happens later on in life and how, who's going to help take care of their affairs. Yeah. As daunting as it may seem, it's important to have the talk about finances with your parents. Um, really one reason is to help them protect them from scams and elder abuse. And we talked about this last week as well, but it costs Americans about $36 billion each year. And that's according to true link financial. Uh, these conversations also ensure that a uh, rapid response plan is in place in the event of a disability and that there are no surprises after your parents um, pass away. So um, there, here are four tips that you can open lines of communication with your parents and, and uh, you know, address this conversation with them. And number one is, is, is just start a conversation with just with one conversation. Make sure that you have that kind of defined. And um, when's a good time to sit down with your parents for a hard conversation um, you know, it may be never, um, some people, you know, you may never want to address it with them and, but don't wait for a tragedy to strike a study by Ameriprise financial found that a life altering incident was the trigger for 90% of children who actually had discussed estate planning with their parents. So they were in crisis mode and, uh, that's not a great time to be making decisions. There's a lot of emotions involved in that, that time, time period as well. So, be proactive. Yeah. So carve out time for a family meeting and, you know, kind of set the agenda for that. Say, hey, you know, when we get together for Thanksgiving or Father's Day or whatever it is, the family's going to be there. We're going to sit down and we're going to have a little meeting and just talk about, you know, the financial picture down the road and just get that agreement from, you know, the children and the parents and um, kind of schedule that as part of the event. And um, it's a good way to get the conversation started. And then you can do a refresher and update down the road, but just broach the conversation and, you know, schedule time at your family gathering, 
to 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 have a, a little meeting and just get the conversation started. Yeah, the first conversation probably should just serve as a, a door opener. Um, a lot of weighty decisions at play. To, you know, if there's been no planning done at all, uh, may change over time with your parents' mental or physical health. So don't expect a one and done conversation. This is something that's going to be ongoing. It also depends on the number of siblings and you know the complexity of the financial situation as well. But um, you know, the first conversation is just to kind of broach the subject and, and, and get people thinking about it. And then the, the second tip here is begin with the basics. Um, talking about money inspires reaction. Um, sometimes it's secretive. Sometimes, you know, people are forthright. Uh, even if your parents aren't particularly, you know, prickly about discussing their finances, it's prudent to ease into some of these conversations. Um, you know, a strategy that's pretty helpful, um, you know, in approaching discussions from a group planning perspective is maybe sharing end-of-life goals, uh, what you're considering, asking your parents uh, what theirs are. Um, you know, remember, a lot of these subjects um, are a lot uh, closer to the hearts of the elderly than they are us at this point. So uh, be sensitive when you're starting these conversations. Um, think less, um, you know, about, you know, how much money you're going to get and who's going to get it. And just talk about collaborative, exchanging information, where the accounts are. Um, you know, we always reccommend filling out a kind of a one-page summary um, that you can you can yep. talk with people on and show people where the accounts are. And you don't have to show numbers per se, but it certainly helps to document and, and inventory. I just had a, a client whose father passed away, and uh, the father had 17 life insurance policies. Oh, my goodness. And they're not even sure if they got them all. But, wow, um, to, that's a lot. To, to go through, and that's just life insurance. There's a whole bunch of other things. So they d- really had no idea what was out there. Yeah, I've sat down with the widows before where they had individual stock accounts where they were in these dividend reinvestment accounts, you know, and they weren't in a brokerage account. So we have stocks that are in like 15 places, and they're with the transfer company. So they're very difficult to handle after after the fact. And so... Um, that's a mess. You know, you really need to think about this ahead of time, get an asset inventory sheet together, as you mentioned, and, um, you know, get it together so you can, so you can know where everything's at and you can talk about it. But yeah, broach the serious topics. You know, once you've established rapport, you know, tackle topics that make, that might make either of you or your parents uncomfortable, you know, including funeral arrangements or declining health and, the, you know, kind of dangerous financial scams that are targeting seniors that could wipe out their savings. So, you know, plan on getting into some real meat and potatoes issues, and uh, even if it's a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, if you don't do it now, it's going to be a bigger headache more than likely in the future. So you're better off having these conversations now when, you know, when they're in good health and, and uh, can certainly help make the you know decisions. Um, you got to confront reality and try not to offend your parents, obviously, but um, just having frank conversations, um, you know, shutting down future conversations when the talks are strained uh, may not be a good good way of handling this either. And maybe you need to involve other family members to maybe facilitate the discussion, maybe work with your financial advisor. Maybe you have a, um, a an estate planning attorney that you can uh, engage as well. There's some different folks out there that can probably add some some structure to the conversation as well. Yeah, and leave judgment at the door. You know, the conversations with your parents, they may reveal, you know, some wildly different opinions about how to tackle and handle the finances um, in their latter years. Uh, You're asking them to part with some sensitive information, you know, kind of promise a judgment-free zone in return and, you know, be sensitive, 
but at the same time, don't be shy about, you know, tackling those difficult issues and broaching this subject. They'll probably be comfortable talking about it, but uh, but they may not. So you have to work through those issues and those feelings. Yeah, and because of the prevalence of financial abuse, you know, there's estimated like one in five um, elderly folks have been impacted um, by this. We talked about $36 billion that has been stolen from elderly folks. Uh, urge your parents to flag potential scams and, and avoid shame, shaming them for ill-advised financial decisions or falling victim to fraud. Instead of focus on prevention, uh, routine communication about finances and keeping documents accurate and up to date. And, you know, we've talked about power of attorney. Um, We see a lot of our clients have power of attorney over their parents' finances. They help them manage and monitor it. And I think one of the, the, you know, I had another situation with a client that um, they they weren't um, the power of attorney on the account. And there were some things that were not done um, that were ethical from the family perspective. Mm. And, um, so you gotta be careful. Um, you know, think through this, I would say for what I recommend for people to do is be, um, forthright if they are power of attorney or executor or whatever, and just state all the information, give, you know, report outs and, and, uh, over communicate because other people are going to wonder what you're doing. Right. And, and sometimes I get questions about when should you broach these types of subjects and when should you, start having this conversation with your parents and you know it's not the same answer for everybody but in general <clears throat> i mean you want to do it ahead of time you don't want to wait till their faculties are already starting to to diminish um at that point because then it's a harder conversation and there's could be some disagreement things aren't really set up and there may already be some some trust issues going on so i would try to do that you know, maybe in the mid seventies, you know, well before they hit the point that they mm-hmm. start having problems. Um, because if you wait that long, then there's, there's already opportunities for fraud. There's already opportunities for disagreements between the siblings. If you start this conversation early, then you have time to work out these issues and do it gently and do it slowly rather than it be rushed under the stress of, of other health crisis. issues yeah. or some crisis. Yeah. Exactly. So great topic. All right. And that leads up to our final thing. And that is the prescription of the week. Yeah. This prescription has to do with Airbnb. And um, Steve, I don't have any experience in this, but Sarah Hensley from our office does. She's actually going to do the video uh, this week on Facebook. So check that out. But Airbnb is a great way. We do have some friends that do this as well, but it's sure. a great way to earn additional income. Um you know, it really has revolutionized how people live or um, go and visit places. Instead of just a hotel, you have people's homes. And uh, Danielle has used this before. She's gone on some some trips, um, for conferences for school, and she's she's used it and had pretty good experiences. You can rate the people that absolutely that, that you're staying with. They rate you, and so it's kind of like an Uber. Um, That's right. Type yeah. mentality. Yeah, so it's the um, largest, uh, you know, it's the largest chain in yeah. the world in terms of, and they don't own a single. They have property. no inventory. Yeah, it's amazing. So uh, uh, largest chain with uh, you know housing with with vacation sure you know properties so it's a great way to earn additional income we, we do see people that are looking trying to get out of debt um and you know if you have an extra bear, uh, bedroom you can turn that into cash yeah i have some friends that <clears throat> do that and uh you know they do very well with it they rent rent a place you know some of their kind of a basement apartment out during master's week um or even other times and so airbnb is getting to be the way to go and a lot of towns, too, you can get some really nice Airbnb properties 
if you want to go stay somewhere, it's worth checking it out as opposed to staying in a hotel. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could stay in something that's more like an apartment. It can be more centrally located, you know, downtown, wherever you want to be. Less expensive. Um, less expensive. You know, just a lot of times it's just a lot more room. Um, so, yeah, check it out. It's a great option. You, you don't want to overlook that when you're going on vacation or, or some other place. Um there's some nice amenities with Airbnb, and like you said, on the other end of it, you can make some extra cash, so it's a great way to make extra income if you have some spare rooms. So good prescription of the week. All right, and that leads us up here to our close. Um, this has been this week's edition of Money MD. To tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health, check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706 706- Seven three nine zero seven two five. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVistor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 